Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is the post-game edition, the first one of many to come here in 2023. And I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Daniel Gallen, and we are fresh out of Beaver Stadium. And we are also somewhere in between last night and this upcoming morning. Not sure where we fall in between those two things right now, Mr. Gallen. But what I do know is that whenever there's one of these post-game podcasts, we got to do it late. It's a lot better to have a lot of shiny, fun things to talk about than stuff that we don't want to discuss and things that were kind of uh, dancing around topics after losses. And, you know, Penn State never in danger here. Maybe not necessarily uh, go for launch in the first half like some people would have hoped. 14-7 to at halftime. A couple missed field goals that we'll certainly get to uh, that, that sent this team into intermission. Maybe not feeling quite up to where you thought they would be, but... The end of this thing, 38 to 15 is the final score. Penn State piles on 24 points in the second half. They go up ahead by 31 to 7 at one stage of the contest before a late West Virginia touchdown. Penn State matches it with a late one of their own with backup Bo Prabula. And yes, we can definitively call him backup Bo Prabula because Drew Aller got the start, Mr. Gallon, and boy, did he live up to the hype. Yeah, it was something that I think we'd all been waiting for. Uh, to get the official word, um, you know, I think we were a little worried today. Would there be a national report? Would there be an exclusive somewhere else? But it went right up until, you know, sometime in the seven o'clock hour when they put the the starters on the board and it's going through everyone and you get to quarterback at the end and it's Drew Aller. Um, you know, I think it's we've been waiting, you know, a year for this, you know, to see what this looks like. Um, you know, basically, I think we've been waiting essentially a year since that Purdue game. I think when he came into the Purdue game, showed that it wasn't going to be too big for him, you know, that he is this five star. He does have this arm. Um, I think a lot of people have been looking forward to this start and he delivered 21 of 29, 325 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, one almost interception that Keandre Lambert Smith gave him a, a good assist on for the PBU. But you know, I think that Drew Aller really looked the part of a you know franchise quarterback, you know, the five star recruit, number one quarterback uh, in the class of 2022 for 24 seven sports. Um, and he, you know, he delivered on that promise just one night. There's a long way to go this season, but I think the early returns going up against a, a power five defense 
um, you know, in his first start in that type of environment, um, I think is something that you you can really only take away good things uh, about Drew Aller from tonight. He's the first Penn State quarterback to throw for at least 300 yards in his first career start since 2003. That was Michael Robinson, who just happened to be on hand as part of the NBC's uh, coverage crew, uh, at least part of this uh, coverage uh, in prime time. And when you look at what Drew Aller did, I think if you closed your eyes back in last January or in July before this team opened preseason camp and tried to envision what maybe your most optimistic view would be of Drew Aller, it would be a lot to do with what we saw today, I think, uh, handling the pocket as well as he did changing the pocket, maneuvering, and and really uh, that, that ability to manipulate uh, the pocket at this stage. Again, start number one. I know he played in 10 games last year, but the way to, that he can really manipulate the pocket and and and, and use that six foot five, 240-pound frame to find advantages along the way in real time. You can saw him, you saw him actually get out and evade some defenders at different points, but all the while, while that's going on and he's staying calm along that storm and behind the line of scrimmage, he's letting his receivers set the stage for what comes next downfield. And what I loved about Drew Aller was whether he's getting rolled out to his right or whether he's got, has to step up in the pocket and he's moving toward his left, the, the downfield focus maintained. Uh, you know, he, you saw him using the peripheral vision, uh, watching the, the defenders come off the edge. He actually faced quite a bit of pressure from the interior tonight. But all the while, I thought what was so impressive was he'd have guys grabbing him or he'd have guys coming up on him the same way he, he's, he's flicking the ball downfield. And, and it didn't need to be 40-yard bombs. It was just getting the ball toward your playmakers. You've got the defense scrambling up towards you. Where can you find a pocket of space? And what was pretty fascinating all the way through here, Daniel, was that Drew Aller's passes, they just came right to the chest. I mean, they were just they were handing the receivers the ball in some of these instances. He wasn't perfect. Uh, the offense wasn't perfect. Penn State wasn't perfect. But Drew Aller, I think, in terms of what you're realistically anticipating to see from uh, a, a, a sophomore making his first start in front of 110,000 people and a national audience against the Power 5 defensive unit with an, a, a veteran staff, yeah, I think you'll take this and you'll take it every day of the week. 325 yards, as you said, those three touchdowns. Uh, you, you know, he has a few mistakes to learn from here. But overall, uh, you know, we'll see. S- Saturday, we didn't get to watch as much football as, as a lot of our listeners out there. But I don't know how many quarterback performances you're going to find where you can say, whoa, this projects at any level of football and it's going to work for you. There's a lot of, of, of nice quarterbacks across college football that you say, yeah, it's done. When he's 22 years old, th- th- this journey's over at quarterback. Drew Aller, you can just imagine, in, you know, 35 years old, what Drew Aller could be doing with the football. And we got a really early glimpse right now of, of a relatively young stage of a really special quarterback talent. The, the one thing that James Franklin talked about in his postgame press conference that you alluded to earlier was the fact that you know, Aller had his eyes up uh, pretty much the entire time that he's moving around in the pocket. He's, he's scrambling a little bit, but he's, he's always looking downfield. I mean, he showed it on the 72-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith, but you know, when right before we left the press box, we watched the sequence that led to Penn State's second touchdown, um, and he has this 18-yard completion to Harrison Wallace where you know, Aller is about to scramble. I mean, he's gaining speed going to the line, and he just stops on a dime and just rifles it in uh, to Trey Wallace for a good gain, um, and then you know, a couple plays later is, is rolling right, 
and just delivers a, a very, very nice pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith on the run for a 30-yard gain. Um, so I, I think that that really opens up the possibilities for the offense. Um, I think that when you're now when you're a defensive coordinator uh, plotting against it, uh, you know that you know he he might not scramble. That if you're a defender, you have to stick on your man when you see him moving around back there. He's not going to bail out. He's going to stand in there. It's that poise, that composure that James Franklin has really been talking about since the Purdue game um, a year ago. So that's something that I came away very impressed by. Um, you know, there are some things to clean up up front, that pressure, maneuvering around it, um, some of the stuff on the offensive line. Um, but I, I just came away very impressed. I mean, I think that you talk about hype and expectations and everything, and it's very, very hard to do that, to live up to that, um, to fulfill it, and sometimes even halfway fulfilling it. Um, and I think Drew Aller did a, a great job tonight of um, you know rising to the occasion um, of, of showing what, what he can do um, and, and not being overcome by what was a, a pretty big moment. Uh, and I yes. think that a, a lot of us would, um, you know, it would be, it'd be hard to do. I mean, obviously you know, they talk about guys being built different <laughs> and everything, but, you know, I think that drew Aller, when you talk about the poise and the way that he approaches things, and you know, he said that he wasn't nervous today, he was just anxious to play that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go out there and play finally. Um, you know, I, I think that he is, kind of made for this right now so it's it's only one step there's still 11 more of these regular season ones to go but i think based on this first one um you can kind of i think you can start to raise the ceiling uh, a little bit he he, he's settled in in a hurry to this to to this new role being that guy at at the at the podium you know it's not a press conference setting with these guys afterwards but uh the quarterback it was sean clifford for so many years before him trace mcsorley they're front and center where james franklin typically sits for his midweek press conference and his post-game press conference and then you've got other players scattered around the room but that's the show that's where a lot of the tv cameras are going to swarm to that's where the brennan cam is going to focus on and in this case i mean uh, going through it we had all the audio and so i listened through it i know you're working on a story about it uh sounds a lot like sean clifford in in, in different ways in terms of you know kind of being the company man knowing what he should be talking about knowing what he probably should avoid talking about and that goes for talking about his teammates but one thing he doesn't really get into is himself and and that's kind of always been the case we had drew on the podcast multiple times during his rise to five-star status and it's always tough to get him to really uh gush about valor but you spoke to some teammates in the postgame situation. I, I did as well. Nick Singleton is one who told me that he feels like putting this out there on film, what Drew did in game one, is going to create a lot of anxiety for defensive coordinators. They've got 11 more defensive coordinators on the schedule who in some way, shape, and form are preparing for Penn State already. And, and, and when you look at now you've got to factor in, okay, now it's not just kind of a, a projectionable it's tangible and, and it's going to be evidence that builds week by week and Drew's going to have to go prove it week by week. I'd imagine a really good opportunity to do that and, 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 and build the highlight tape next Saturday, noon kickoff against Delaware. Bigger challenges await. But Nick Singleton seems to think, hey, you've got to respect this passing game now. And I guess you, you me, Mark, no one was exactly right on, on the game plan here. They certainly leaned on Drew. But he didn't throw 30 times. Like I said, keep him under 30. But, <laughs> man, Singleton and Allen, 
tell you what, 13 carries, 10 carries, didn't necessarily see that coming. Like I said, thought early on it was going to be more of a, a lean on the run game thing. They were not afraid to hand those keys over to Drew Aller. Uh, and obviously, he's got to make some reads. He's a guy that's determining a lot of that run and pass balance. And I, I think he's going to probably come away from this experience learning something from there. But 21 of 29, so he got pretty close to 30. You got Nick Singleton with the 13 carries, 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Katron Allen, 51 yards on 10 carries. Those guys will have much bigger days in the future. But let's go back to the, the man of the hour here in Drew Aller. I mentioned what I heard from Singleton what did you hear in kind of poking your head around uh, this group of players in postgame? Yeah, I, I talked to Salim Wormley, uh, the starting right guard, and, and Chop Robinson, the defensive end, and I asked both of them the same question or a variation of the same question, which was, you know, when did you know that Aller could be this QB1 type, you know, this high-level um, QB1, I guess kind of the, the archetype? And both of them said last season, um, you know, Wormley mentioned the game. He said he couldn't remember which one it was, but Aller came in and was just throwing the ball all over the field. Didn't get nervous. Um, you know, just really was settled in, wasn't phased by anything. Um, he probably could have been talking about either Purdue or the Ohio game. I think, um, those are probably the, <laughs> the, the two to choose from there. But then, you know, Chad Robinson said that he could see it last year during practice and that, as Aller got more reps as it, as the season went on that he could just tell uh, that he was special. Uh, and he pointed to the arm arm strength that, you know, he can, you know, he can fit it in anywhere. You know, it's a, we've, we've talked about that arm strength. It was really on display um, on, on Saturday night. So, you know, I think that you know, they've seen it for a while. Um, I think that, you know, we all know what Sean Clifford did for this program, and we all know what he accomplished last year, 11-2 and yeah. two in a Rose Bowl. Um, but I do think that these guys all recognize talent, um, and they all know, you know, kind of you know what guys are capable of. And I think that a lot of these teammates identified this really early uh, in Drew Aller when he came in. Um, talking to Harrison Wallace, he said that, it was this off season when Aller really took over that leadership role. Um, that's when he really started to see him to kind of come into his own, you know, as this QB one type. Um, I think that Aller doesn't necessarily strike a lot of us as kind of the alpha. Um, you know, we talk about Sean Clifford being super fiery and everything. Uh, Aller is, seems a little bit more even keel. Um, and I think that that really comes through when James Franklin talks about that poise and when, you know, Aller after the game is just kind of, you know, pretty ho-hum um, about everything that that just transpired. But, you know, Harrison Wallace said that he could see it in Aller you know, getting guys together for throwing sessions, for film sessions, uh, for all of that offseason work, all that behind the scenes stuff that pays off, you know, when we get to this point in the season. And I think you could really see it pay off for Aller and those receivers. And Daniel, you and I and Mark have been sharing anecdotal evidence all offseason long about why Drew Aller has the, you know, all, all the attention and why we think he's going to be good. And now we know, but now, you know, now we know an extended look at this thing. And, and he's going to have, again, a long way to go here. But when you kind of gauge and you take a, a longer look at the Big Ten conversation and the college football conversation, people are coming away nationally from this game, from this performance 
kind of recalibrating what Penn State might be this year. I think people who follow Penn, uh, followed college football very closely and follow college football recruiting closely, we're well aware of Drew Aller and we're well aware of kind of what was emerging here in Happy Valley. But those who kind of check in on September 1st and say, bring me college football, what do we got this year? It's maybe a bit of a, a revelation to see what Penn State was able to do without relying on those two running backs, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. Because in my mind, a lot of people had the identity of this team as being the offensive line got a lot better last year. These running backs are awesome. They might be the best tandem in football, if not for Michigan's. And now all of a sudden it's, well, Drew Aller can be the guy who, who is the, at the spearhead of this thing. And uh, so there's a lot to like about it. 11 games, by the way, no turnovers. Uh, this is ex much more extensive work, but 11 different appearances, no turnovers to this point, eight total touchdowns. And as we heard from James Franklin and, and Mark Brennan had a, a little more, more detail on this in our VIP notes ahead of kickoff, but uh, what he was able to accomplish in avoiding interceptions on the practice field all preseason camp against a very talented group of defensive backs. Uh, it just starts to add up. And now we're into September 3rd on a Sunday morning. Um, and, and we are starting to paint that picture of Drew Aller. But we're starting to get a new, uh, new image of this wide receiver group as well, Daniel. Not to be forgotten along the way. Said it last episode. There's a lot of Hall of Fame resumes that have been built at the wide receiver position, both college and at the NFL level, with major help from top quarterback play. We'll see what that does for this group, but obviously they put themselves in a good spot. Marcus Hagan's year one position coach replaced Taylor Stubblefield way back in January coming off of the Rose Bowl. And now we got our first look at that group and about as productive and balanced of a day from this unit that I can remember going back several years, Daniel. Uh, you had Harrison Wallace with the most catches, seven for 72. Uh, but it was Keandre Lambert-Smith who really led the charge in terms of creating those fireworks once again. 123 yards on four catches, two touchdowns. You know, Harrison Wallace, you can point to him and say, and he, he could have had himself a touchdown uh, in the red zone. That, that's a spot where you want him to, uh, to, to pluck that ball in and score. Keandre Lambert-Smith, I know probably in real time, a lot of people were saying that's a bad drop. But I think James Franklin was pretty pointed in, in this post-game press conference and, and assigning more of that blame to Drew Aller's ball placement. He talked about Drew being pressured. Um, there was that slant pattern, though, where if, if Keandre Lambert doesn't have to kind of reach back against his momentum and, and reach down to try to grab that ball, in which he was not able to do, if he catches that ball in stride, I don't think that defensive back is catching him. I think he ends up with about 200 yards and three touchdowns today, which is nuts to think about. But look, he's been calling himself big play Dre for a long time, for years now. And I think there's been moments where maybe he didn't quite believe in himself game to game, moment to moment. This is the kind of, of matchup and moment for him building off these things, Daniel, where we're starting to believe it. I'd imagine he started to believe it. And before I toss it to you with your comments on Keandre, just this stat line is remarkable. The, th the first 11 games last year as a junior, 16 catches, 182 yards, two touchdowns. The last three games now for Keandre Lambert-Smith, the Big Ten finale last year, the Rose Bowl, and now this opener, 12 catches for 331 yards and four touchdowns. That's efficiency right there. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that this linebacker is – sorry – we'll get to the linebackers yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this wide receiver core i think coming into it there there were a lot of questions and i think coming out of tonight i think it, it really changed the the complexion a little bit of, of, of how we're looking at things um yeah i thought it was interesting to see trey wallace in more of that possession type role 
I feel like seven catches for 72 yards is a, that's a very Parker Washington stat line, mm-hmm. like where you come in, you're over the middle, um, you know, you're getting open near the sideline, you know, you're moving the chains. Um, I felt like Harrison Wallace did a, a very, very nice job of that um, tonight. Whereas coming in, I kind of really viewed him as, all right, we're going to see him go vertical more. We're going to see him stretch, stretch the field, that athleticism, um, you know, that kind of reputation that he had. But, you know, I thought that that kind of shows where he's improved um, and how he's developed. Um, But, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith, I think that, yeah, I think you can classify him now as a game breaker um, with that kind of talent. Um, And the fact that he's done it in three straight games and three games that are over like a very long period of time because <laughs> uh, you had a month between that season finale and that Rose Bowl. You know, it was you know, eight months since the since the Rose Bowl today. And um, Daniel, with Keandre, that means he has a lot of time to think about it, right? Yes. I mean, and we know what Keandre, like that, it's just, it always comes up. It's been position coaches. It's been James mm-hmm. Franklin. It's been Keandre himself. It's just the consistency, the mental thing. We're not making this up. So with Keandre, you give him a month to talk, think about that performance against Michigan State. You give him a full offseason to think about starring in the Rose Bowl, and he produces this. And so you got to stop, start giving him the benefit of the doubt, it feels like. Yeah, definitely. You know, Trey Wallace said that Keandre is out to prove a point this year, um, which I think that factors in with talking about him thinking about all these things. I think that he's someone who hears a lot um, and definitely internalizes that criticism. Um, and I think that he also recognizes the the situation that the room was in, you know, where you lose Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington to the NFL. Um, and last year, you never really had that clear number four step up. I know that Harrison Wallace and Omari Evans got a lot of run, um, but you wouldn't consider them to be really, really in that rotation as as featured guys. So, you know, I think that he really took it upon himself um, to to work this offseason. Now, I also think that Drew Aller is the, the type of quarterback that plays into Keandre Lambert-Smith's strengths a lot. It, with the ability to stretch the field with that arm where if Lambert Smith is open downfield, uh, you know, even if it's in kind of a you know, a tough spot, you know, Drew Aller probably can get him the ball. So uh, I think that coming out, you know, super impressed with Keandre Lambert Smith, pleasantly surprised by Trey Wallace, and then very surprised by Malik McLean. <laughs> I think that that yes. was the guy that really flew under the radar uh, I think that a lot of attention on Dante Cephas, um, who we saw get some run tonight, caught a ball, dropped a touchdown pass. Um, but Cephas was the one with what he did at Kent State. Also a guy who's from the state coming home. Uh, I think that there is a lot of good reason for excitement about him. Um, and then Malik McLean, he comes in and you know, 6'4", you know, I think in low 200s, different body type than what they have in the room and you know, we heard right away we heard good things about his personality but then as the as spring went on it was still only hearing about his personality uh from the players and stuff and it, and, it started to be he's it's an adjustment period that was the go-to line yes. for a lot of people it's an adjustment period it's a new offense and you know he spent two years at florida state he started nine games as a freshman but when you start hearing oh it's an adjustment period and then we you know you've heard that about dante cephas it, it just places a guy 
in a bit of a holding pattern in the way we report on them and kind of the way that we project the role. Uh, and with McLean, though, it sounded like there was generating genuine momentum, especially during the second half of this preseason camp in terms of him just finding his footing and a rhythm within Mike Yersich's scheme. And, and I'd imagine under the supervision of Marcus Higgins. And you're right. I mean, he looked fluid out there today. It, it, it didn't look like he was forcing anything. And when the ball came his way, he did something with four catches, 58 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, that, that 25-yard catch and run, you know, gets by a defender. He just looked really, really good out there. And, you know, honestly, that was something that I, I wasn't really expecting. You know, I had kind of, you know, tucked him away and just kind of that mess of depth uh, <laughs> right. outside receivers. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect from him, what we would see from him. He was the guy where when you talk about that adjustment period, I was kind of like, well, if you get to midseason, then maybe he can finally get get his footing, um, mm -hmm. you know, get get in a position to contribute. But I think to see him, you know, off the jump to be able to play like that, I think that that changes how I view this wide receiver room a little bit too. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You go into this game, and if I had told you at 725 that you're going to come out of this one, you're going to have 121 total rush, rushing yards from Singleton and Allen combined on the night, and you're going to have from this entire tight end room that we have been spending months and months hyping up, one catch for nine yards, and you're going to put up 38 points, and it's not going to really be a scary situation of a game. I mean, obviously, you're thinking Drew Aller is going to be doing really well, but I don't think either of us, and, and I, I can probably speak for Mark, we're ready to put our eggs in the basket of this wide receiver group having that collective productive performance. Let's throw in a, a, a 25 yards from Liam Clifford, including a 17-yard mm -hmm. gain. As you said, Cephas had a 22-yard pickup. It could have been a special night for him, too, as if he hauls in that touchdown. Um, and then Malik Mega had a 7-yard pickup. I think that was uh, during uh, the the Bula touchdown drive. It was somewhere in the fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, all different guys. I think it was seven total different wide receivers involved here. So you're right. I mean, this is kind of the what it, what, what, what do we come away surprised by? And you always wonder if it's going to be positive or negative. And I guess we do have some maybe negative surprises or concerns to get to. But this, to me, this passing game, these two parties being on the same page, Drew Aller and these wide receivers, and it wasn't just all the plays that are drawn up. There were some improvisational moments here in the passing game. There were the moments that shone through here September 2nd last night that I did not anticipate we might see with consistency over the course of a game until late September into October. I've been talking about that for so long. How will we see the passing game come together? And it came together really well, which says a lot about the preseason camp they just came out of. 
Yeah, it came together really well but without those tight ends. Um, right. I, I think that if we were doing our pre, pre-game predictions and the, the bold prediction was minimal tight end production, I don't think any of us... Less than really- less than 10 receiving yards for the tight end group. <laughs> that would have been a real bold prediction. Yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, by, and oh, by the way, Drew Aller still throws for 325 yards. It's a great thing because you know what it means? Next week against Delaware, we could see the tight ends combined for three touchdowns, 140 yards, and 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 the rest, maybe take a back seat. Or Nick Singleton and Katron Allen can go bonkers. This is a really dynamic offense coming into coming into like the spotlight for us, and it's something that we've said. Oh, if things fall into place, and you're we're, we're putting a lot into sixty minutes of football again. We got a lot more football to watch, but we're just basing it off of what we see. This is the real deal in terms of what this offense can be. But one point here we got to make: the offensive line. You know what exactly does it come together? There were some moving pieces today few different reasons for all that i mean a, a key something you know, a key component of, of why we're seeing some mixing and matching take place in the first place is that landon tengwall is no longer a part of the equation we spent a lot of time on thursday's podcast breaking down his retirement the impact and, and what it means for him and what it means for penn state we saw what it meant initially here jb nelson got the start at left guard uh everything else as expected as we projected left tackle olu fashionu uh, center Hunter Norzad, and, and then over at right guard, uh, you've got Sal- Salim Wormley, uh, and at right tackle, you've got Caden Wallace, who we talked about winning that job in preseason camp. But we did see some movement. Uh, we saw Drew Shelton get time at both tackle positions. We still saw Penn State work J.B. Nelson at left tackle for a series or two. Um, and, and in the meantime, we saw Vega Ioane get reps at both guard positions. Uh, and and so we, we didn't see Anthony Donka step up. That was the name we mentioned before, you know, a guy working behind Nelson. But it, it, seven guys here were involved with consistency and with uh, Ioane and with Shelton, as we projected, they were in various roles. Overall, I think you can say it was it, it was an inconsistent night for the offensive line. You want to see more growth there. And, uh, it wasn't a train wreck by any means. Uh, it, it, it wasn't like an off-the-rails situation. It's just I think after what we witnessed last year, you want to see them play with authority. You want to see them play buttoned up. Didn't quite get that for 60 minutes today. There were some some cracks and, 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 some, and some, some breaks in the dam at, at moments. But I think overall you come away with this and, and you kind of just want to see what it looks like, how they involve these seven guys how they evaluate Caden Wallace in his performance here coming out of game one, what it all means for Drew Shelton, and really, you know, Salim Wormley, Vega Ioane, J.B. Nelson, is there a, a kind of a three-man tandem there for two roles? And ultimately, who's going to go into October with their hands wrapped around these jobs? Right now, it looks like Nelson and Wormley are the guys out in front and guard. We know Olu's not going anywhere, and Caden got the start at tackle, but we, we got a little bit of answers in terms of what Phil Troutwine wants to do and who's you know up there at the forefront of the conversation rotational roles. I think we'll see a lot more offensive linemen involved versus Delaware if things go according to plan, but they kept things relatively tight, and so we saw seven today. Yeah, I think that a lot of the members of this offensive line are going to have you know certain reps, certain plays where they're going to want to burn the film. Um, I think we saw Vanga Ioane and, and Caden Wallace you know, both had some some tough reps uh, against the the West Virginia front, um, but you know I thought that it was I thought it was kind of what you know, maybe not quite what I expected, but you know, there when you think about the the different pieces that that are moving around, I mean you know, we've talked about Drew Aller as a first time starter at quarterback, you know then you have a new center uh, with with Hunter Norzad, you know losing Landon Tangwall. You know, even if they have been able, have been preparing uh, 
a contingency plan for this for a while with JV Nelson. And if JV Nelson was going to push Tangwall, um, if he was on the field this year, I think that that's still, uh, that's still a fracture. That's still something that you have to smooth out um, a little bit over time. So uh, I think that against Delaware, they should look a lot better. Um, you know, I think, I think back to that Villanova game uh, two years ago, two years ago that, yeah. that was kind of the, the canary in the coal mine um, with, with that version of the offensive line where, you know, things might not necessarily, you know, be tip top shape, even if you're, right. you're putting up gaudy numbers. So you know, I think that we will need to see this line come out um, and, you know, put up a good performance, but I think there are still you know, some positives. Um, you mentioned Liam Clifford having that long gain earlier. That was on a really nice little slip screen to the middle um, or a middle screen. And, you know, he had the offensive line out in front of him. Um, there was, there's one rep. I mean, watching Olu is a lot of fun, um, but there is one play where he was pulling to the right uh, to lead block for Nick Singleton. And Olu got there so fast. Singleton got there even faster and they both beat the West Virginia defender to the to the point where Olu got there and had no one to block because he'd gotten there so quickly. So, yeah, I think that this line, I think that, you know, it's guys that are going to have to find their footing a little bit. Um, You know, I do think that it is in a good place, um, you know, even with losing Tangwall. Um, I do think the talent is there. We saw some of that J.B. Nelson nastiness uh, that we've yes. heard a little bit about uh, when he really finished a block after a Katron Allen run. Um, so it's I think that, you know, maybe there are some things for that, you know, raise a little bit of caution moving forward. But you know, I'm interested to see how it plays out because I, I do think the talent is there. I do think that the size is there and I think the experience is there. And I think that that's worth something you know, for a team like this. I shortchanged the 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 depth they used a little bit. Nick Dawkins did get involved. I talked mm-hmm. about this uh, a lot in the last month. I feel like in terms of the importance of getting him out there, figuring out what you have in him as a junior, how he's going to factor in your plans this year and next after he lost so much time to an injury last year. And then Dominic Ruley, a walk-on uh, offensive lineman, a redshirt freshman, was the third center, and he got some late involvement there uh, with Bo Prabula. His roster number didn't coordinate, so we had to do some digging on, on who that was snapping the football, but it was Dominic Ruley uh, out of Kentucky, a second-year player with the program. Uh, so, look, uh, you've, you've got all those freshmen. None of them uh, you got, got involved in the offensive line. Four different blue chips. The two that we're really focusing in on, of course, uh, being Javen Williams uh, and uh, and Anthony Donka. Uh, in freshman terms, though, before I, I totally forget to mention it, uh, making their debut, you had Jameel Lyons, who I, who I missed actually in live action. So I, well, mm-hmm. we'll get a chance to see that one on the rewatch. But Jameel Lyons, Bo Prabul uh, is a redshirt freshman, but he made his debut. Tamir Robinson was out there, linebacker. Uh, T- Tony Rojas out there. Zion Tracy and Elliot Washington at cornerback. So we didn't see Storm. Uh, we didn't. See, I almost said Storm Duck. We didn't see King. <laughs> we didn't see King Mac. Uh, we did. We certainly didn't see Storm Duck either. But we didn't see King Mac, who, who has that green light at the safety position. Thought he can think he can be a factor on special teams as well. Um, and we didn't see a few other guys cruise right past us at wide receiver, which says a lot about the kind of night it was. Omari Evans. I mean, this is a guy that that they, starter quality, whether he's starts or not uh you know viewed as a guy who's going to be one of the 
four or five components. And maybe that list grows now. And Omari Evans is maybe shaking his head and saying, oh, no, this this just got a lot more competitive in this room. Because And I had to watch it all. We're not sure what happened with Amari Evans. He was listed questionable on the new status report that these teams have to put out a couple hours before kickoff. We're all getting used to it, including the programs. In this case, it was very helpful, though, because not only did we learn that Omari Evans was potentially in doubt, he was out there in pads, by the way. He went through warm-ups. I did note to Daniel that he seemed to be much further back in the wide receiver drill pack than you would have imagined for a guy who you know, had a pretty prominent role, had a really strong spring camp, a, a good uh, preseason camp. Um, he was kind of like the seventh or eighth guy running back there. So it said a little bit about maybe where he is. Then three defenders, though, were ruled out on this list. And so you had, you know, kind of had to shake up your your, your anticipa- uh, anticipated lineup for this defense a little bit, especially with what the cornerbacks were going to do, because no Daquan Hardy. We know how valuable he's been in, in the slot coverage role, third-year starter in that spot. He's also a guy who's going to factor in a bunch for you on special teams. And then you've also got the uh, two defensive linemen missing, Koziah Izzard. And we mentioned he's one of those defensive linemen who's bulked up has looked the part, really played well last season when he came on after missing the first month of the year. We still don't know why he missed that first month of the year, but he did. Um, and we're not sure why he missed his first game of the year now. And Amin Vanover is the other who is not on the uh, not part of the equation today. Uh, so and he, we've been singing his praises about the, you know, an under-the-radar option at defensive end behind those three guys at, at the lead. So three primary components. I think you could probably say uh, three of your top 20 to 25 defensive players as, as we've laid it out here going into the season. Surprisingly and kind of disappointingly, the question never came up in, in James Franklin's press conference about why those guys were not available for Penn State today. But we'll take care of that on Tuesday early in James Franklin's press conference, I think. Between now and then, uh, don't have a lot of clarity for you. And in this case situation, I'm not going to promise that we'll get a lot of clarity. But Daniel, th- three significant losses, and maybe we have to account for that when the defense was maybe a little bit slow out of the gates, as slow as you can be in, in giving up only seven points and a half. Yeah, I, I think that you look at the the guys that you're missing and, and the body types. I and mean, we've talked about how Izzard has has bulked up uh, and is one of the bigger defensive tackles. Amin Vanover is one of the bigger defensive ends. Um, I think that that changes the the formula a little bit up front. Um, you know, we did see some Zariah Fisher rotating in, um, and I think that that kept that defensive end rotation a little bit tighter um, without Amin Vanover uh, in there. But then, you know, we saw a lot of Devon Elise, Hakeem Beeman, Zane Durant, um, not necessarily as much Jordan Vandenberg um, as I thought I might see. Um, you know, he's someone to, to definitely keep an eye on. But you know, I did think it was interesting in the, the secondary, um, you know, what the how the calculus changed without Daquan Hardy in that slot, um, you know, how Penn State approached that. Um, because, you know, there isn't necessarily another kind of true slot. I know that there's a variety of, you know, some of its size and speed ability as to why Daquan Hardy fits so well at that spot. But we saw Johnny Dixon start on the outside and then move into the interior uh, when Penn State went to multiple defensive backs, and then Cam Miller came and play, came on and played opposite Kalen King uh, on the outside, which you know Cam Miller is someone that we've been hearing a lot about. Oh, yeah. um, and James Frank, I think it was James Franklin that talked a lot about him uh, on he Tuesday, said he, last Tuesday. He, 
he said he basically is like the ultimate like if you want to improve and you want to really do it yes. like just follow this guy's lead and because he has the path and he's a year two guy that yeah we've heard a ton about yeah and if this cornerback room wasn't so impressive he'd probably be a starter and he'd, he'd probably be a starter in a lot of different big 10 campuses right now definitely so i think that getting him onto the field i think is a is a boost for penn state and and something uh, a little bit different but you know i think that it is going to you know penn state already had a couple blows on the defensive line with smith vilvert and alonzo ford you know who knows how much those two would have contributed this year you know we know that vilbert you know, didn't play at all last year and that defensive end room definitely would have been facing an uphill climb you know, Ford was adjusting to going from Old Dominion to Penn State. Um, but I do think that, you know, it, it thins the thins the herd a little bit more there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that Penn State, you know, for the most part came out of it okay. There are a couple runs here and there where you, that kind of raise your eyebrows. But I thought that defensive line held up okay without those key contributors. And I think overall the defense held up, even though there weren't, those super super splashy plays that maybe we got accustomed to down the stretch last year yeah i came away thinking that garrett green's a, a pretty solid you know big 12 quarterback yeah. that, that he's gonna he's gonna go out and probably do some damage against some of the defenses he'll face i'm sure he'll be glad he doesn't have to face penn state's defense again and based <laughs> on west virginia's schedule i don't think there's really going to be a lot of teams that are really close to on par uh, with what the Nittany Lions put out there defensively. So I, I know James Franklin made it a point of emphasis a few times during this press conference to tip his cat to, to tip his hat to Garrett Green, who came away with 71 rushing yards and a touchdown, uh, not as efficient through the air as he probably wanted to be, 16 of 27 for 162 yards. Point to this going into the game, just don't see the playmakers across the field right now with where West Virginia is at in their program the program development. I think they've got a pretty solid stable uh, of running backs, and, and right now it looks like a really a one man show with, with CJ Donaldson. I thought maybe we'd see other guys involved there, uh, but you know Devin Carter did flash the former Penn State uh, commit who you know they ultimately replaced pretty quickly with Malik McLean. So you feel good about that swap as well right now. But Carter had 90 yards for them, but we just didn't really see anyone do it through the air. And I, I think you got to factor all that and saying Penn State, you know, it, it wasn't the the fireworks night like I predicted. I said they'd have three plus turnovers and they'd produce 14 tur- uh, points. You thought they'd have five different guys with a sack. They didn't have all that, but they still kept West Virginia to about 300 total yards. That's a pretty good total, especially when you got a team trying to play catch up late. Uh, they held them to four of 14 on third downs, which they were pretty particularly tightening up on as this game moved on in the second quarter in the second half and they started to get a clamp on this game they were getting this team off the field on third downs they had three sacks not a gaudy number there uh, but overall they avoided penalties too we didn't see them picking up defensive penalties uh, whether it was mental mistakes and, and doing stuff that's too chippy after the play and sometimes you need a reminder of that week one what you need to what your parameters are and what you need uh, to, to remember about sportsmanship and all that we didn't see anyone go out of line uh, and so that was good and you didn't see anyone make fundamental errors and, and, and penalties. And there was no obvious burns. The one play where you're like, well, that was a broken play. What was on that touchdown drive for, for, for West Virginia earlier in the matchup in the first half, Devin Carter busted play. It felt like the ball was in the air forever, almost like uh, almost like a punt of sorts. But no one could close in on it from Penn State. And, and Devin Carter got the ball and they were in business moving down the field. But. 14 to seven, you think, okay, if West Virginia's got a little offensive life and they can build off of that, maybe Penn State's in trouble. But even when it's 14 seven and Penn State's missing field goals, and then it's 21 seven, and you're trying to see if Penn State can pile on points, I'm just trying to, I, I, the whole time I'm wondering, 
where's West Virginia get the 22 points? I, I just couldn't see that coming. And I think we got to remember, I, I, I look, judging by our message board and by social media, which are the you know two great places to go to after <laughs> games, win or lose, to try to figure out what the community is thinking. Um, it feels like there's some angst about the defensive unit, probably the front seven, because we've been pr promising this ferocity and we've uh, been promising all this production. Didn't get all that today, but you held West Virginia to 15 total points. The last eight of those were in garbage time. And I think you come away with Manny Diaz being able to do a lot of corrections, a lot of notes. We'll see if they get these veterans back, what the timeline looks like that. But you think reinforcements are along the way. And I lied. King Mac did get involved. So let's also <laughs> point to the fact that you've got these freshmen, you've got burgeoning talent that we're going to start to see taking on, you know, shapes, forms, roles within this defense in the weeks to come. So uh, not the most glamorous start to this season for the defense, but I think they'll take it and I think they can work off of it. Yeah, and I think one thing that it's it's worth remembering and that you know I think I was getting caught up a little bit in it too because I definitely sold Garrett Green short uh, coming into this game where I wasn't really expecting him to be able to do much of anything, but you know, he did prove to be a bit of a problem with his legs. Is that you know West Virginia? It's still a Big Twelve program. It's still a Power Five program. You know, even if they are, as we talked about in the preview, kind of devoid. Their old one's good. They're yes. ones. I feel like I feel like I keep talking about their lack of skill positions. They could be a problem in that conference if they did have legit skill position because they got a legit offensive line. I don't know where they stack up in that conference, but I'm going to say that they're going to be in the, in the top third, at least in terms of offensive line in, in the Big 12. And probably through this month, they're going to be or through the first six games of this season. Really, they're going to be one of the better offensive lines, if not the best offensive line that I think this team's going to face. Yeah, and so I, I think that they're, it's not your classic easing into the year game, you know, like you saw in the past with, you know, Kent State or Buffalo or Idaho or anything like that. So, you know, I, I do think that you have to recalibrate a little bit that even though it was a, a non-conference game to start, it wasn't like opening at <laughs> Purdue or Wisconsin the past two years um, that, yeah, so I, I think that you know, I had to do that a little bit too, where I was like, oh yeah, this still is Power 5. It's still a Big 12 program, even if it isn't necessarily in the upper half of that conference or it's a team that is you know, destined to go 5-7 and seven or 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five with a, a coach playing out the string. Like, there's still talent there. Um, there's still, you know, it's still game one. You can do wrinkles. You can, I think Drew Aller said that, you know, there were things that they weren't expecting to see uh, from the from the West Virginia offense or from the West Virginia defense. And then the West Virginia offense, I think, tried to throw some wrinkles in there as well. So, you know, I think that this defense, you know, it's kind of what are we going to see these next two weeks? Then I think we'll get more of an indication of how things are going moving forward. Well, Daniel, uh, one name that we, we didn't really jump into, and there weren't a lot of like star single singular star performances. I know people were maybe looking for one from Abdul Carter. He did come on strong. He had a, he had that sack on, on. You know, they had the Prowler package with seven defensive backs countering a fourth down situation there, where West Virginia's in desperation mode. Abdul Carter comes up with the sack. I think he's got a good chance to, to hit ten sacks over the course of this season. That's why I picked him as the team's defensive MVP, and I think he's going to be an All American. Had a couple of, uh, pressures today too, but. Really, the, the guy, if you want to look at, at stuffing the stat sheet that we pointed to, uh, you did specifically as, as the defensive MVP in your post-game recap at Lions247.com, was Curtis Jacobs, who's a senior, a third-year starter, and quite frankly, a guy that we probably don't reference enough here on the podcast. 
Yeah, I, I thought that Curtis Jacobs had a had a very nice night, um, especially when you're going up against a, a running attack that you know is able to get into the second level, an offensive line that is opening up holes. Um, you know, and Curtis Jacobs did a couple different things tonight. You know, he started the game at the Sam, you know, playing a little bit more in space. Then we saw him at the Will uh, at other points, working in the box. We saw him blitz. Um, he just has that athletic profile where you can put him at a couple different spots. And I think that he's an intelligent football player. So he'll be able to make things happen. He'll be able to make it work. So, you know, I thought that he had a, a very good game. He had the his sack um, came at a good key point where you know, he got Garrett Green down when Garrett Green was trying to escape. Um, you know, I, it is kind of crazy that someone who was a, a five-star recruit, you know, really, really high up there can feel almost underrated at this point in his career um, and, and someone that we're not talking about too much. But yeah, I think that he's shown up a couple times. You know, he had a couple games last year when it was a bigger spotlight and he rose to the occasion. Um, I think that he did that today um, and was kind of the guy. It seems like with defenses, every game there's a guy who's just kind of everywhere. And today that was Jacobs. Yeah, 10 tackles in a sack, and, and this is following up a Rose Bowl performance. So he was very active that day, and of course he was excited to be coming back for a fourth year at Penn State. We were wondering what that decision might be coming out for the former five-star. Off to a good start as a senior. Uh, and, and Daniel, he got the game ball on defense. I, I'm pretty sure you gave it to Drew Aller. On, on, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to read your work. Yep. Had a chance to, but uh, so that we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast, and we probably don't need to rehash what Drew did. Let's get into, though, what kind of is like the thorn in the side of the situation, and that's the kicking game, uh, because we talked about it as the primary concern that we were really looking ahead to the season. What are the biggest questions? Well, we got one answered. Is Drew Aller going to look like the real deal? Yeah, he did tonight. Another big one we had was, can you make field goals, You know, especially the ones that feel like simple field goals? Just get the three points on the board, walk away. You, you, this is an offense that should be scoring a lot of touchdowns this year, but when you can get them done, especially within that under 45-yard range, get it done. Well, today, Sanders Sahadak was the first kicker involved, hit a couple extra points in that first half, but in the final two minutes and 10 seconds or so of the first half, things really went awry for the redshirt sophomore. Missed two field goals from inside – 40 yards. I believe it was from 38 and 34 yards out that Sanders Ahedak, both wide right. Either one, you're looking at a 17-7 lead or a 20-7 lead over West Virginia at halftime. I think from a psychological standpoint, to send the Mountaineers into the locker room down by multiple scores versus just one touchdown difference, I think that can do something for you. It He wasn't able to provide that for them. And next time we saw Penn State have a kicking opportunity on an extra point, it was Alex Falcons involved. And then they brought him out again for a short field goal uh, later in the game. It was that 25-yarder. Yep. He connected there. So, again, it wasn't really all that complicated for Alex Falcons, but he didn't do anything to, to hurt himself or hurt Penn State. Unfortunately for Sanders Sahedak, and who was trying to make his case to be the kicker here, not just for 2023, but maybe for the next three seasons potentially, uh, uh, we don't know what we're going to see him next. I mean, James Franklin didn't get into that timeline after the game. He said he's got to evaluate. They won another whole week of competition. I think we can just qualify this as a competition that didn't get solved in preseason camp because James Franklin made a pretty good point when he was asked how close was it in preseason camp. He said close enough where we figured, where we, we determined if he didn't get it done early, we wanted to see what the next guy could do. So Alex Falcons, for those who 
didn't get the memo this offseason, came on board as a walk-on addition to the roster. He was at Columbia in the Ivy League school for a long time. Not a very good uh, completion, per, uh, uh, field goal conversion percentage there, but uh, got it done in a lot of different ways for them. Kickoff specialist as well, was there for a long time. Their all-time leader in points, and he's come here now, and and this is a this is not a battle you want to be having, Daniel. There, it's great to have a lot of position competition going into the season. Safety, you'd love it. Defensive end, that's awesome. Even some spots on the offensive line. Wide receiver, great. But battle it out. You do not want this to be some kind of circus sideshow going on while you're trying to be a college football playoff contender. It won't end well. Yeah, the the specialists are. It's that one. It's one of the positions where. If someone isn't hasn't asserted themselves and you have the the battle continuing into the season with the inconsistency, it just kind of turns into uh like you said, like a thorn in your side a little bit, you know, because a lot of other positions you can rotate, play multiple, whatever. But when you're the kicker, you're the kicker. Um, and you know, we saw Sanders and Haydak miss those two field goals. And you know, post-game James Franklin even said that I think he worded them as, you know, not very challenging kicks yeah uh, when you yeah. factor in the distance um i believe one of them was straight on um and then there i don't think there was really any wind inside of beaver stadium 68 tonight. degrees yeah it's yeah it's, it's it's concerning yeah so it'll be i think we're gonna see both of them uh for you know in the future uh the way that james franklin phrased it is that early in camp alex falcons had the lead but Sanders Sahadak closed, uh, you know, very well through the end of camp, and I think James Franklin said even in the past week, and kind of put himself in the position to be that first kicker out. But it was so close that uh, if Sanders Sahadak isn't getting it done, go back to Alex Falcons. And the way that Franklin kind of termed it, you know, it, it did kind of sound like that. If you know, Alex Falcons isn't getting it done, then maybe you can go back to Sanders Sahadak. And then there's also Ryan Barker, um, the the walk-on freshman who just joined the team uh, at the beginning of fall camp, um, who looked pretty good in, in our looks uh, in August. But, you know, I think that this is something that you don't really want to be lasting too far into the season. Um, you know, when you're at this level of college football, you know, games are won and lost on the margins. You know, you left six points out there um, today. I, I think about that. Uh, Michigan game two years ago, Penn State lost it by four points. Um, I think Penn State left four points on the field that day um, with with some kicking issues. So, you know, y- you can't really afford to to lose points like that. You know, you're not going to be able to give lose points like that against Ohio State or Michigan, or if you see someone in the Big Ten title game or in the college football playoff. Um, you know, you want to have that stuff really, really locked in, locked down um, so that when you send someone out there, you know what you're going to get. And it just makes things easier for the offense, for the defense, for the coaching staff. Um, I think when special teams is really clicking and really moving, it just really helps the rest of the team on a couple different levels. And individually, these two kickers are in very different situations. You've got a walk-on grad transfer from the Ivy League who's you know down to the end of it with his college career. And then you got Sanders Sahadak, who is in year three. He's a redshirt sophomore. He was considered 247 Sports' top overall kicker prospect in that class of 2021. And he's got a boatload of eligibility ahead of him, but he's on scholarship too. And, and it's not ideal to have a scholarship kicker 
as a backup on your roster. That's usually not where you find these guys, especially when you only have one of them. So uh, very different situations here where you've got uh, someone trying to launch a, a long-term career with the Nittany Lions and then someone else trying to, to bring their career to a nice conclusion and they're front and center. And, and, and as you said, it, we don't know if these first few matchups of the season are going to be hanging in the balance to where you can point to a missed field goal and saying that just cost you a chance to go to Indianapolis in December. But there will be games where that will be the case. And uh, you, you we'll see if they have it figured out because they don't have it figured out just yet. And I think that's very clear based on James Franklin's comments. And they're going to be working on that in the week ahead. Uh, Daniel, I think we've gotten to just about everything we wanted to hit on. Is there anything that we may have forgotten on that I may have missed and that we got to get out in this episode? <laughs> I, I thought of something earlier to bring up, but it's, it's, it's 410 right now. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it's all slipped my mind, but you know, it was great to be back in Beaver stadium. You know, we hadn't been back there since November um, you know, to see that many people. Uh, I think they said fourth largest crowd in Beaver stadium history. You know, it, it is pretty cool to, to be back in there, to be back in college football season. Um, and I think that with what we saw on Saturday, I think it's going to be a, a pretty fun ride. Well, as you said, this is a uh, well, I, I think we both agreed before the podcast. It's a strange profession at times. This is one of them when you're recording a podcast where most of your listeners are asleep uh, and, and, and some are out in RVs by Beaver Stadium as well. But it's 410, as you mentioned. We've got some work to get back to. I'm not sure whether I should get ready for bed or get ready to make my kid breakfast. But this is the life we chose, the life we live come Saturdays in uh, in September, in October, in November. And uh, we're all about it. We got a noon kickoff next week. You've got an 11 a.m. kickoff to cover out in <laughs> Illinois the following week. And then we're back in Beaver Stadium for the whiteout later this month. So another primetime game. But what a fun way to start this thing off. Uh, fulfilled a lot of of of, of not concerns but just a lot of conversation that led mm -hmm. up to this one about drew aller and i think it's great for him great for everybody that we can kind of rip that band-aid off and and saying what's it going to look like what's it going to look like okay we know what it looked like saturday night and now we can build off of that and penn state certainly got to like how that drew aller uh era began Daniel, you're a pro. Appreciate you, you, you hanging out with me uh, late into the night and early into the morning, whatever we're going to call this. And to our listeners out there, uh, really appreciate it. You can catch us every time after the game. It'll be a lot earlier uh, coming your way next Saturday. Uh, but we've got another episode coming your way on Monday. We'll be back each Monday into these game weeks now. Whatever we kind of miss, try to gather our thoughts, maybe be a little bit more awake and alert come Monday on the podcast. And then we're rolling into another game week, Delaware coming to town next Saturday. But for now, 1-0, Penn State gets to enjoy a 38-15 to victory over West Virginia. Daniel and I will talk to you soon right here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. In the meantime, enjoy yourself.